Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is me. That's right. What do you think of that? No one else here. No one else on it. I am here to commemorate 10 years of doing the Travel Tales Podcast and roughly 300 shows. Why do you say roughly, Mike? Well, I'll tell you. During our switch years ago from Libsyn to Art19 as our host, Some episodes seem to have gotten lost in the ether. Somehow they didn't transfer on iTunes or now called Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or anything else. So I don't know. I don't know where they're at. And things just got lost. So unlike a lot of shows, I don't number every episode. Probably dumb on my part. I did at first, and I don't know why I stopped. Maybe I thought by putting a number on the on the episodes would have made them like dated. If people said, oh, I'm all the way back in episode 10, and he's on 50-something now, and it's like, nah, just, I think maybe I thought that would make them evergreen, which is dumb, but whatever. According to iTunes, there's about 294, 95 episodes. If I figure in all the ones that got lost, we're over 300, but why don't we just call it a 300? Sparta! 300. But I do know it's 10 years. Not to the exact date either because I can't find when that is, but I'm pretty sure it was about May of 2011 when we started the Travel Tales podcast. 10 years of putting out shows, and the first couple of years was every week, and then when that got a little too much, it became stressful for me. And since I felt this was a labor of love, and I was doing everything myself, hosting it, booking guests, producing it, editing, doing all the social media and everything else that I'm bad at, doing it every week, and especially trying to do it when I was on the road uh, with bad Wi-Fi, depending on where I was at, um, maybe sometimes without a laptop. Guests would cancel and leave you hanging, and then you're just scrambling to find people because that weekly deadline just kept coming faster and faster. I went to every other week, and it was much better. And if I didn't go to every other week, I never would have lasted 10 years. I would have burned out on this. Unless I was making money at it, and you know that I don't make money at this. And speaking of which, wherever you listen to us on iTunes, I'm sorry, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or on our site, please subscribe. Could you subscribe, please? That helps more people find the show. And also, what really helps people find the show is good ratings. Give us a good rating. Help boost our presence on there, because that just brings more people to us. And we want more people. I say we as if someone's working with me here. No one's working with me here. Now, when you looked on your phone or wherever you listen to your podcast and your laptop or your computer, wherever, and you saw that there was no guest, you're like, whoa, what is Mike doing here? Did somebody cancel? Sure, of course they did. A couple people canceled. But that's not the point. The point is, I thought I should do something to commemorate the occasion of 10 years and 300 episodes. And since I've been doing stand-up comedy for roughly 30 years, now 31 years, 
Actually, 30. Because of COVID, I took 14 months off. So there's a year gone. Let's say 30 years in the business. When I do shows in most comedy clubs or on a cruise ship or something like that, my main set is 45 minutes. So if you think I can't talk for 45 minutes, oh, you are wrong. Now, will I be funny for 45 minutes? Ask the audience. <laughs> some nights, yes. Some nights, man. If you read the comment cards on the ship. But that is not the point. Today's show is about me and you. And if you're listening to this, I'm assuming that maybe you're subscribed. Maybe you've been listening for a long time. And if that's the case, I can't thank you enough. There are so many podcasts. I think now they give everybody a podcast with a driver's license who wants one. But in 2011, that wasn't really the case. And I thought I was coming in late to the game because all my comedian friends already had podcasts. But anyway, the point is there's a lot of them out there. And if you listen to me and you subscribe, and you're a regular listener, and you've been on this journey for a while, I can't thank you enough for sticking in there and riding it out through thick and thin. Now, I don't expect you to listen to every single episode. Maybe you pop in, you pop out. But my hope is that I've taken you on some sort of quote-unquote journey. I know this is a travel podcast, but I have talked to a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life over the last 10 years. And I've learned so much, not only about them, but the, the world. I've learned about myself. I've learned of places that I, I never knew existed. But as soon as they told me about them, I couldn't wait to see them. Through doing this show and meeting all the people that I've met, I've made friends. I've learned so much. I've changed as a person. You have to remember that in 2011, I was coming off a show well, I was about to uh, end a nine-year run at TBS, hosting my uh, TBS Movie Extra show there, which was the longest gig I'd ever had in show business. And by that time, the economy had crashed. Uh, the HGTV shows that I had done were both ended. And I needed something new, a new project. And since I'd always traveled and never got tired of talking to people about travel. I didn't want just another kind of podcast where a couple comedians were out there, you know, jackassing around on, on the air. I wanted something a little different. I also wanted to brand myself or help brand myself as a travel host to pitch travel shows. And though I haven't got anything on the air, well, no, that's not true. I have hosted a travel show in uh, Taiwan, Top 10 Things to Do in Taiwan that aired as a special on CNBC. I've taken media trips around the world, and these were all free and comped. Uh, trips to Thailand, trips to Croatia, Canada, and riding three times on the Rocky Mountaineer train. I've gotten a lot out of this podcast, even though I've not made money off it. There's a lot of reasons for that, and uh, people are surprised that I've been doing this long and I don't make money off it. There's a couple of reasons. One, when you start taking money from advertisers or whatever it is, every so often they have demands. You have to put out a certain amount of episodes, certain content, or not that we've ever been very controversial or dirty or anything like that, but uh, you take people's money, you got to take their requirements, the strings that come with it. And I always wanted to do it on my terms and on my time. And going to every other week probably hurt me in a business way, but it kept me sane. That's for one. Two, I'm not a very good businessman. <laughs> I'm, I'm really poor at self-promotion. I admit it. I've always admitted it. That's why I've had publicists. That's why I've had an agent and manager for so long. I'm just not good at it. I'm not good at the social media game and never have been. Is there a little bit of laziness to that? 
Absolutely. But some people just have the gift of sales and I never had it. And I know I have to get better at it, but there it is. And I don't know, maybe it's an American thing. I've often been told about, you know, from people from other countries, that the one, one of the things they don't like about Americans and, and capitalism in general is that this need that you can't just do something just to do it. You have to sell it in some way. Oh, you like to sew? You should open up a uh, Etsy shop and, and sell your stuff. Oh, you like to paint? You should do that. Oh, you have a podcast? You should make money on it. I don't know if everything has to make money. I really don't. And I guess I'm a bad American that way. Oh, the, I'm a bad American in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, I just, uh, making money off it was never really my goal. As opposed to other people that I know that, that making money off it was their number one goal for their podcast. And some failed, but some succeeded. So who am I to say? But the most I've ever gotten out of doing this show is friendships and, and relationships. I've met so many people and made so many new friends from all walks of life and around the world. It has enriched my life in many ways. And for that, I'm forever grateful. I will be going somewhere. Uh, you pick a country. I'll say, yeah, I'm going to Romania and I'm going to meet up with some friends of mine. It's like, you have friends in Romania? I go, you know what? Yes, I do. <laughs> or, or pick one, or Buenos Aires, or you know, Lisbon, or whoever it is. It's, it's fascinating. You know, and I, it's, it's just built that through this show. And traveling, you know, the, the best thing about traveling is connecting with people and learning from people and other cultures, and in, in different places all around the world. And that's what I love about this show. That's what I love about doing it. And I've made hundreds of new friends. And I've learned so much, not only about places that I, I never were heard of and were never on my radar, but also about different ways to live, different careers you could have, things to do, ways to get there. And I've had a lot of fun doing it. So for those of you who have listened for years or are new listeners, to the new listeners, thank you for, for coming. This is not a normal episode. I almost always have a uh, guest that I interview, but today it's about me. It's all about me and the show, the Travel Tales podcast that I've been doing for 10 years. So I made up a little list of questions that people always ask me. I'm going to have a, try to have a speed round. I, I came up with some frequently asked questions that people always ask me always, and let you know a little more about me. So if you do ever write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com and you have questions, I'm going to answer some of the frequently asked ones here so you don't have to ask me <laughs> when you do that. And feel free to write me, TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. If you uh, know somebody who's good for the show or you think you'd be a good guest for the show, but sometimes people write me with travel questions. Uh, some advice of places uh, that I've been that maybe they haven't, write me. I love hearing from people. It lets me know that you're out there, that I'm not just doing this uh, for my health. And even if I was just doing this for my health, isn't your health important? That's what I say. Anyway, what are some of the frequently asked questions I get? Oh man, are they a lot. And the one of the worst ones I always get and I can't stand answering this. And I, other travelers say the same thing to me. What's your favorite country? I don't have a favorite one. I, I'm not good at the favorites game, whether it's naming my favorite band or favorite movie or something. I just uh, I can give you a handful of stuff that I like and really love. But uh, just one, one, it's really tough. 
I can say without a doubt, the ones that always seem to jump up to the top of the list when I answer this are Thailand and Italy. Does food have a lot to do with that? Sure, probably. But um, the people, the cultures of both places, if I ever get a chance to go to either one, I never get tired of visiting either one. I'll never turn down a trip if someone offers it. You want to go to Thailand? Even though I've been there five, six times, same thing with Italy, I go, yep, wouldn't even hesitate. So those two are always high on the list. But really, there's so many. Basically, you take almost all the Mediterranean, uh, Europe, uh, Croatia, Italy, Spain, France, Portugal. It's just that kind of lifestyle kind of suits me, I think. It's just the climate, the food, the wine, the pace seems up my alley. So I do like that. I have a love for Southeast Asia. Not just Thailand, but Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia. And yes, some of these places can be very poor. And when we say, what's your favorite country? You know, there is no perfect place. If there's one thing I've learned, there is no perfect place, whether it's poverty, corruption in the government, corruption in the police, corruption in the businesses. There's always something. But when people ask me favorites, those places I mentioned always jump to the top of the list. Another one is like, what are your most memorable experiences? I've had so many, I can't even begin to count, but a lot of them, I don't think about you know, I've had a lot of fun times and I'm a city guy. I love cities around the world. I've had amazing experiences on a lot of them. But when I think about my breathtaking ones, it usually has to do with nature. And so I think of things like climbing Kilimanjaro was a big one, as was hiking with the gorillas in Uganda and Rwanda a couple of years ago. Uh, there's, of course, Machu Picchu, scuba diving in the Coral Sea, uh, the Great Barrier Reef. And visiting Antarctica, the last continent I hadn't been to, that so few get a chance to, to see. Just the peacefulness of it all. You know, going to a place where there's just no people and the, no sound of cities and planes going overhead and everything else. I could just walk out to lean out on the railing of the ship and just listen to the icebergs crash into one another and crackle and seals barking in the distance. It was uh, amazing. So those are some of the most memorable experiences I can think of. Another question. Where do you want to go that you haven't been? Oh, man. I was never a big country counter. I know a lot of people are into that. They, got it. they want to know, how many countries have you been to? Well, been to is a, is a loose definition. Some people count like going through the airport, which I don't. Because I might be over 100 countries if I counted just passing through the airport. I don't count that as like visiting a place. Uh, you got to get outside and touch ground and spend some time in it. Um, but I've done a couple of those country counters online. And it's weird how some lists consider a place a country and others don't. You know, some go by the UN list. Some will count Hong Kong and Taiwan as separate from China. Others don't. You know, it's that kind of nonsense. But the list came in anywhere from around 89 to like 92 countries. That's where I was at. And even though I'm not a big counter, I did want to get 100 just for saying 100. And it turns out I did make a handwritten list a few years ago of countries that I'm just dying to go to that have been high on my list for so long. And especially after COVID and when things open up a little, these are the ones I got to get to hopefully within the next few years. And I can go by continent. Let's start with Africa. Egypt and Morocco. 
boom, right there. Don't get me started. I've, I've had close calls with Egypt, almost got there a couple times, but it just never happened. Egypt's going to happen. And I want to do it right. I want, I want to spend some time there and not blast through it in a rush. And hopefully, that was one I was kind of hoping I could go with somebody there. A lot of these countries, and especially a lot of Arab countries, where, and, and also where there's language differences, it does tend to be a little more fun to go with uh, someone just to hang with. So hopefully, uh, I'll do that soon. And Morocco, I've just heard so much about it and seen so many photos. It just sounds great. So that's one I really want to do. So that's Africa, and in terms of South America, I want to go to northern Brazil. I've been to southern Brazil around Rio, but uh, I haven't uh, haven't really been up north. I want to see that uh, Bahia area, you know, Salvador, and and all that Recife and that African influenced uh, area, and also you know the Amazon. Come on, even though I saw a bit of the Amazon when I was in Peru, I still would like to see. Uh, maybe Manaus and, and, and some places like that. So that's on there. The Galapagos Islands in Ecuador, of course, it's on the list. Notoriously pricey, but uh, still, I want to make it happen. And then Chile. Still haven't been to Chile. Went through the Santiago airport. Again, don't count that as visiting, but I would like to spend some time there and see a little bit of it and get down to Patagonia again. When I was in Patagonia, I was only in Ushuaia, Argentina, picking up the Antarctica cruise. So I didn't have a lot of time to really see Patagonia. I'd also like, kind of like to see those uh, salt flats in Bolivia. That looks really cool. So that's my South American bucket list. Asia, well, let's start with the big one. Mainland China, still haven't been there. Been to Hong Kong and Taiwan twice each. Shot a show in Taiwan as if I was an expert there. But yet have never set foot on mainland China. No Shanghai, no Beijing, haven't seen the uh, Terracotta Warriors in Xi'an. Haven't set foot in the Great Wall. Gotta do it. Gotta. Can you really call yourself a traveler if you haven't been to the most populated country in the world? I think not. Gotta do it. Heard mixed things from a lot of people about it, but uh, I don't like to write off a place without seeing it myself. And of course, as a history buff, I mean, forget it. It's China. Gotta go. Also way up on the list, Nepal. Have not been to Kathmandu in Nepal. And if we're back to experiences, hiking to Mount Everest Base Camp is up there. So I really want to do that one. I want to do it while I'm still physically able to do it. I'm not getting any younger. I had a birthday last week. Had a great time, but uh, yeah, older. Starting to feel it. Starting to feel it. And there's going to be a time where schlepping a backpack up the (laughs) highest mountain in the world will probably uh, not be physically able. I'm not going to go to the top. That's insane. But to the base camp, it's very doable. I know it takes a little longer to do than Kilimanjaro did, which I did in five days, which was quick, which was too quick, actually. But still, beside the point, got to get to Nepal. Also, Bhutan. If we're going to go exotic and go off the beaten path, everything I heard about it, their happiness index and this whole thing uh, about how they uh, measure their country and their happiness of their people, which is amazing to me. And the pictures look amazing. Bhutan, off the beaten path. That seems like one that still needs to be discovered and still relatively untouched. I don't want to say untouched, but still not overly touristed like a lot of the world. And then there's Myanmar, which I I worry that I missed my window on Myanmar because it's shut down again with uh, the military regime. And it's uh, it's not a pretty sight what's happening over there. So 
It was open for a while. Uh, I fear that I might have missed it, but hopefully next time it opens up again to tourists, and hopefully it will, that I can get to Myanmar. And finally, Palau. As a scuba diver for 30 years, I want to scuba dive in Palau. Divers have always put that on their list of their favorite places to go. I want to swim in the uh, jellyfish lake, which a few of my friends have done and looks incredible. No, there's no stingers on the jellyfish. So Palau is there. It ain't easy to get to. Believe me, I've checked. Either you got to go through Manila or Guam. Not close and not cheap, but yet I want to get there. And that brings me back to Europe. Now, I've seen just about every country in Europe. I haven't done uh, the Eastern Europeans, a lot of the former Soviet bloc countries, things like Georgia, Azerbaijan, and Albania, and uh, Bulgaria, and places like that. A lot of those Iron uh, Curtain countries that uh, are open now, but uh, I have just have not been to. So I'm interested in seeing some of those. But the big one I haven't seen is Russia. Now, Russia... I've heard a lot of mixed things about. It's always been on my list. It just hasn't been high in the list. Uh, there's a lot going against Russia. The weather is tough. You need a visa. The food, uh, I've heard, is, uh, is nothing to write home about. And from what I've known, look, I had Russian family members. I, uh, I'm not into eating borscht. <laughs> you know you know what I'm saying. You know, the corruption and, the, and everything else. There's a lot going against Russia. But yet... Again, you're talking history, woo, baby. And like I said, I never want to write off a place without seeing it. And when you talk about Russia and China, these are the two other big bad boys on the on the planet along with us. And, you know, as Americans, we get one kind of news about these places. And then just like I did with Vietnam, with Cuba, and then I went to those places, and it, it totally flipped my thinking around. And Russia and China could be those places as well for me. So I want to go to Russia. And also, finally, and if I see another photo of this place on Instagram or through my friends, I have two friends who were just there. I'm talking Iceland. Iceland. Yes, the secret's out on Iceland. Yes, we all want to go. But yes, I have to go. So really, Russia and Iceland and some of those former Eastern Bloc nations, I'd really, I'd really like to explore a little more. And that leads me to North America. What's my bucket list item on North America? Well, since last year, when I knocked off my last two states, I have been to every single state in the Union. I've seen pretty much everything in America I've wanted to see. I have also seen a lot of Canada. But I haven't seen, and this always blows me away when I bring it up, Toronto. Can you believe I've never been to Toronto? The biggest city in Canada, haven't been. I've been to Montreal multiple times. I've been to Vancouver more times than I can count. I've been to Calgary. I've been to Edmonton. I've been to the Maritime Islands. I've been to PEI for crying out loud. I've been to Halifax. But have I been to Toronto? No. So yes, that's on the list. I'm going to get there. I have friends there. Yes, I have friends there. But it's all about timing and and getting there. I'm going to go, of course, in the summer. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, I'll get there. Sorry, Toronto. Love you. Want to get there. So those, those are mainly my main places I want to go to. And that's how I answer that question. Do I have a bucket list? You just heard my bucket list, folks. Another frequently asked question. Who have been some of your favorite guests? That's a tough one, too. Again, we're playing favorites. But I think about episodes that really 
jump out at me. And of course, I think of Scott Neeson, who uh, I interviewed in Cambodia, well, um, via Zoom, but uh, a guy who left a high-paying Hollywood gig, you know, the house in the hills and the, the boat and the fancy cars and all of it to go uh, open up uh, basically an orphanage in, in Cambodia, in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, just because he took a trip there. And the poverty and what he saw just shook him to the core. And he went there and started the Cambodian Children's Fund, putting people through school and uh, just saving people's lives. Sold everything he had here and has been there for, you know, I, I think we said 16, 17 years now. Uh, just an amazing guy. Really impressive. That stood out. I mean, there's been so many uh, episodes. I can't list them all, of course. There's uh, Alex Robinson who talked about getting... He was a photographer that I met in Croatia, and he had talked about uh, you know getting kidnapped in Brazil and uh, being driven out to the middle of the jungle and had his life threatened. And uh, oh man, there was my friend Darby Butts who I interviewed in uh, Medellin, uh, Medellin, Colombia. Darby was an American guy who I had met on my Kilimanjaro trek, and he had opened up a a bar in Medellin, but he also spent a year, he was basically a chef at the Amundsen Scott South Pole Station. (laughs) Like crazy, crazy stuff. So those are some of the ones that really stand out in my mind. I'm sure if I went back and looked at the list of all the episodes, I'll be, oh, that one was great. Oh, that one was great. But right now, that's that's what's jumping out at me. Another question, what sites or apps do you use for booking travel? Well, you know, I've interviewed people who have created apps uh, on this show. I've interviewed people who are uh, flight experts and uh, travel hacking and things like that. Uh, points mongers. <laughs> so a lot of travel experts I talk to. But when I go to book flights, uh, the sites I usually use, uh, I usually go to Skyscanner. Uh, I use that site or that app usually because unlike Orbitz or uh, one of the other big sites they can usually find smaller airlines and regional airlines in foreign countries that uh, some of the things like Expedia and stuff like that don't really don't really find. So a lot of people swear by uh, Google Flights. I don't really use them that much, but yet it's there. As for accommodations, I'm not a big hotel guy. So when I can't stay with friends or if I don't do an Airbnb or things like that, I will go to, I will just go to hotels or hotels.com or bookings.com, booking.com and keep it general that way. For rental cars, I'll either do Hotwire or there's a great site called Autoslash, uh, autoslash.com that uh, I've had good luck with in finding decent rates. You go to Autoslash and you put in your dates and they'll reserve something for you, but they will notify you if something cheaper comes up because the rates may change. So they can find something cheaper for you. And I've gotten pretty good deals that way. So yeah, auto slash, check those guys out for uh, rental cars. There's my advice. The next question I get asked a lot, is like, what, what kind of changes have you seen that are the biggest changes around the world in terms of travel? And of course, number one, it would have to be the internet. The internet has completely changed all of our lives and not only the way we do business and communicate, but uh, the way we travel, it's, it's game-changing. The fact that I've just given you so many sites 
that you can easily find the best flight for yourself and know all the, the times and schedules in the palm of your hand. Uh, maps, uh, translations. You know, I used to take maps, paper maps, all over the place. To find the best flight, I would have had to hire a, a travel agent. I wouldn't, my first flights and uh, trips out of the country, I didn't know where to begin. Uh, do I call the airlines individually and get and get flights? You'd see advertisements of who's got good flights to uh, Europe or whatever. Or you go to a travel agent who would sift through this for you. And now it's so much easier for us to do ourselves. I mean, how was I going to find uh, a place to stay and a hotel to book in Cambodia when I got there? I hired somebody to do that. Uh, now I can go there. I can go online. I can look up a bunch of them, see photos, read reviews, do it, and and I love doing all of it. But yes, it's a little time consuming. But that's time I love to take. You know, it's like going on a, a trip from your chair, and going. And once you figure it out, it just becomes so much easier. Combine that with banking, the phones. It's hard to explain to younger people how much. Uh, phones and the internet have, have have completely altered the travel landscape. I mean, my mom's mind was blown when I took her for her 80th to Ireland. I guess it would be six years ago now. But uh, we would drive around, and I'd ask her where she wanted. We'd be at breakfast. I go, what? Where? Where do you think we should pull over? She goes, you don't know where we're staying tonight. I go, no, we'll just figure it out when we get there. So when it started getting dark, we getting tired. We'd pull into a town. I'd just pull up my phone and, and find a local inn or hotel or whatever, and just book it immediately. And we drive right there. I'd have the map and everything. And to an eighty-year-old woman, this was I might as well have been Star Trek. You know what I mean? It it was blew her mind. And if I thought travel from the 80s and 90s was primitive, you can imagine what she must have thought of of this, of how simple it all was, like at a touch of a button while we were eating a meal. Oh, I, I booked our hotel. You just did that? You didn't call or anything? No, I just punched it in. What? <laughs> it just blew her mind. And just being able to communicate back home, uh, having a phone number and getting your mail while you're away and being able to do things remotely from anywhere in the world. It's just, it's a game changer. So the internet has changed absolutely everything and made the world smaller. Some would say for worse, uh, but many would say for the better. So for better or worse, it's the internet, baby. That's changed everything. Another thing I've been asked is... uh, how do you talk to young people about travel and get them interested in the world? And I say, first of all, this kind of ties in with the earlier question about the internet, that they have seen so much, so much more. They're exposed, better or worse, to a lot more than I was ever exposed to as a kid. You know, I saw network television and then cable was like a big deal, but that was all curated and things like that. So, um, Kids have access, you know, the click of a button to videos from, you know, Bali. Then they can look up immediately, where's Bali? Boom, boom, and all at the click of a button. Now, whether they're interested in it is is the key. And I tend to find that a lot of kids who are interested in travel and want to see other places and other cultures 
had parents that encouraged them to do so. When I look at my parents, I grew up in Illinois. My parents were not from there. They were from the East Coast. But I think in the back of my mind, that already told me that, oh, you don't have to spend the rest of your life in the place you grew up in. Whereas a lot of my friends and, and neighbors, albeit most of them, were all natives of Chicago or, or the area. They had all grown up there. All their families were around there. And they just kind of, they stayed. Now, I'm not denigrating people who stay where they're born, but some people don't even know it's an option that you could leave, <laughs> you know? Um, but since my parents weren't from around there, they talked differently than my neighbors. And uh, we had family on, on, in other states and other places. And I'm going, oh, you're not tied to where you're from. And that's acceptable and that's okay. That was the start. And then we took trips. I not to other countries, but we took trips as a family, often to uh, to see relatives on the East Coast in Florida. And we did do the Griswold vacation all the way to to California and saw the whole country. And you you a kid is exposed sitting in the car for all those hours to the size of the country and the very the varied landscapes and the different climates and the different ways to the people are living. And look at that house over there and people live in that next to a, a palm tree in a swamp in Florida and uh, what's what's their life like I don't know if my nephew and niece get the same thing when I take trips with them now you know when they were kids and they're just looking down at their at their video games instead of looking out the window boredom is a good uh, motivator for a lot of things for starting bands for doing art for finding hobbies and for dreaming about going places. And I think I just dreamed. But my parents also never discouraged me traveling, whether it was for like a field trip for school or, or something. They, they were always like, yeah, go see it. Where I had friends, man, it was nothing but fear. Their parents' fear of different things and new places just transferred down in their kid. Why do you want to go there? What's wrong with that? Why, why can't you just stay here? What are you gonna, you're going to go get hurt there? Or you're gonna, it's dangerous there. Don't go there. Don't do this. And um, that kind of shut the kids down. Now, some rebelled and went the way the opposite direction and said, I'm out of here. But a lot of people just, um, they just kind of took it and became cautious adults. But I do tell young people to be curious and to leave home when they can because there's something about leaving home. I, I was a pretty shy kid. People don't believe this, but in high school, I was a pretty shy kid. I mean, people from high school can't believe I became a comedian and, and went on stage. I was not in theater. I was. I didn't want to. I was not the class clown. I wasn't somebody that wanted to, you know, stand out. I was shy. I was afraid of of being noticed. You know, I blended in. I tried to blend in as much as I could and be anonymous because then that way you're not picked on or whatever. I don't know. I was afraid to put myself out there. I didn't have confidence. And maybe the, some of that was about living at home and not being encouraged to stand out. You know, my parents were encouraging in some ways, but not so encouraging in being an individual. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how to explain it, but we don't have time. This is not a uh, you know, psychoanalytical, psychoanalytical podcast. Anyway, it wasn't until I left and, and lived, went away to college and got out of the house that I started to come out of my shell a little more. 
and I think a new location had something to do with it. That there's something about traveling and being in a new place that you can kind of reinvent yourself and start over. And since then, I've 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 felt that when I went to move from Chicago to New York in my 20s, and I felt the same thing when I moved to Los Angeles. I liked the idea of when I went I traveled, and I was alone and I met new people. I. I you were starting fresh with every relationship. I didn't have any baggage with a, a, anybody I met at a youth hostel in Switzerland or something. We could talk. We were both starting fresh. And I could be who I wanted to be, anybody I wanted to be. I envy countries that encourage a gap year with their kids who graduate high school. They know that, they, you know what, take a year off and go work at a, at a, you know, on a fishing boat somewhere <laughs> away from home just to get some, some life experience. And if you don't get to do that, at least do it after, like I did, do it after you graduate uh, college or get out of that. And just because seeing new things completely changed my worldview, and it completely changed how I looked at my country, it taught me there was another way to live in the world. Which brings me to the last question. And when I say it's a frequently asked question, it is the number one question I ask all our guests usually at the end of the show. And that question is, how has travel changed you? How has it changed how you look at the world, how you look at yourself, how you look at your country? How has it changed you? And it's interesting that by far, by far the most common answer I get to this, I'd say about 90% of all the guests I have always answer in the same way. And it's usually, in so many words, a variation of, we're all a, a lot more alike than we think that deep down, people are pretty much the same in terms of wanting the same things, to have a safe place to live and work, a safe place for their children, and some happiness. That's what people want. And I agree with that, that regardless of wealth, status, religion, race, most people are just, you know, they're just getting through, trying to live life, provide for themselves and their families in peace. And that in turn leads to empathy. And if travel's given me everything, it's given me empathy and perspective of knowing just how fortunate I was. And, and it was all luck to be born in a wealthy country with a passport that's given me the freedom to go all these places and that so few Americans take advantage of to be handed the, one of the most valuable passports in the world. And so many don't even use it. They never leave. It's taught me that I was fortunate to be born a white male and the advantages it's brought me, not only here, but traveling abroad. And some disadvantages when you certainly stand out in some places. <laughs> they see you as, you, as you as a walking ATM machine and a potential victim. It can, can backfire, but for, for the most part, you're allowed access into places that uh, many don't get to go. And I realize that. But most of all, I think it's changed me in that I realize there's not just one way to live a life, which can be tough because the longer I stay in America, I feel like I don't really fit in as much. I'm a bad consumer. It's taught me to embrace minimalism, which just seems to be a common theme among a lot of travelers because once you live out of a backpack successfully for months or sometimes you know even years on end or live in a van or something, you realize what, really, what do you really need in terms of stuff? and things like that to, to be happy. And it turns out to be very little, at least for me. So I'm a bad consumer. Uh, I don't buy a lot of things. I live very small. I don't have a lot of possessions. I try to uh, keep my carbon footprint 
small. I realize I have hypocrisies in that in terms of, uh, you know, we all have hypocrisies that we live with. Uh, as much as I want to save the planet, uh, I still argue, I still fight with things like flying, which is bad for the environment. I realize that. Uh, I do work cruises and the uh, environmental impact they have on is, is, is rough. I still eat meat, although I eat much less of it than I used to. Not only for health reasons, but you see, once you get around a, a lot, the, um, the impact eating lots of meat has on the environment, which is really, really tough in terms of gases, deforestation, and all that stuff. And as a scuba diver, uh, the overfishing. There's only a couple ways to get meat, folks. You either got to farm it, and uh, if you've ever been to a factory farm, it's one of the most hideous things ever. I'm not going to get on a soapbox here. But also, or, or you kill it in the wild, which is like fishing. And I remember sitting at a, uh, I remember going to Santorini, and I went on a dive in, in Santorini, Greece, and I saw hardly any fish. And I went to another island and did the same thing, hardly saw any fish. I think it was in Naxos. And I remember that night talking to someone I was having dinner with, and just saying, well, it was a drag. I, you know, I, I paid for this uh, scuba trip and uh, hardly saw any fish. And I was saying it while I was eating fish. <laughs> and I couldn't put the two and two together like, oh, why am I not seeing fish? Oh, right, because it's on my plate and it's on everybody's plate in the restaurant. And uh, overfishing is just killing the oceans. And another thing travelers taught me that climate change is no joke. It's not a hoax. Uh, from what I've seen over 30 years of the reefs around the world alone and the rising sea temperatures, it's enough to make you weep. And just going to Alaska and seeing the glaciers in Glacier Bay for five years running, uh, how, f- how much they've receded in just five years. Even the park rangers up there were telling me, who've been there for like 25 years, say, yeah, we've never seen anything like this. Uh, it's bad. And so I'm conscious of these things. So I try to live small when I can. I'm working on the meat thing. Maybe I can cut it all out completely. That would be a tough thing in Brazil <laughs> or Argentina or, uh, yeah, some countries it's tough. But um, while I'm at home, I'm going to try to eat cleaner and for my health too. But travel has also taught me how you know, conscious I am of things like race. Being the one white guy in a place in Africa or in uh, Asia, or something like that, you're very conscious of it all of a sudden. (laughs) You are. You stand out, and you are looked at a certain way, and you start to wonder, wait a minute, am I going to be treated differently? Are the police going to treat me different, not only as someone of a different race, but as a foreigner? And then you give yourself a little more empathy with uh, when things happen here, when people are discriminated against. I don't know if I would have felt that from that perspective, had I not been in those shoes. So that's another thing that travel can give us. So yes, things like empathy, knowledge. I've learned so much history. I've learned a lot about America by leaving it and seeing news in other countries and then coming back and seeing our news and just going, oh, wow, this is skewed in a a completely different way. All these things have changed me as a person, not only travel, but this podcast, talking to travelers, talking to people who've had experiences talking to people who have been to places I've never been, getting different views on how to live, how to work 
You know, I've been asked a lot in the, over the last year and a half by by people about what what's the future going to be like of travel with you know, post-COVID and everything else. And the truth is, I don't know. Most of us don't know. We have ideas of it, but we, you know, we're in new ground here. But after seeing so much beauty around the world, I am eager to save it for another generation to see. Seems to be a lot of people out there who want to use it all up before they die and don't care what's left behind. And I am just not one of those people. If you can do it, do it now. If you're healthy enough to do it, do it now. Get out there. I talked about Myanmar earlier and how it's closed. And once it was open, I kind of missed the window when it was open. And I don't know how much of this world is going to close or open in the next 10, 20 years. It seems to be closing off more and more. It does worry me a little bit. I left the country in 89. 1989 was the first time I left this country. And I went through Europe. There were two Germanys. There was a Czechoslovakia, a Yugoslavia, a Soviet Union, none of which exist anymore. And this was just over 30 years ago. I'm sure a lot of people in all those countries thought it was going to be that way. They grew up thinking it was going to be that way forever. And then one day, your country is different. Some countries changed Peacefully, others, there was a lot of bloodshed. As we speak, Lebanon is in chaos. And there was a time in the 60s, it was the Paris of the Middle East. Would have liked to have seen that when you could. There was a time when Iran was open to all. If you're really interested in seeing something and it's open to see, go see it quickly. History moves fast. Countries change. Empires fall Oftentimes, America thinks it's above making the same mistakes that other countries make around the world, and we're making a lot of them. We're just newer, that's all. We're just younger. I don't know what's going to happen, but if there's peace, and you're able to travel, and your passport is still accepted, go. Because you never know when borders will close, airports will close, or a global pandemic hits. Or your own life gets in the way. You start a family, you get busy, your health goes. You run out of time or money. You just don't know. Anyway, I need to wrap this up. For those of you who are still listening, I can't believe you are, but thank you. Thank you in 300 episodes in 10 years, you allowed me to be indulgent and ramble on. I'm not even drunk. Maybe I should re-record this thing uh, boozed up. Have a four-hour episode. That'll be great, huh? <laughs> I know I talk about doing stand-up and, and things around here, and uh, I never get to really plug myself, so... There is a Dry Bar Comedy special. If you go to drybarcomedy.com and then punch my name in there, you'll find me. I have a 35-minute comedy special, clean for the whole family. And of course, I had to get travel in the title. It's called Have Jokes, Will Travel. Just look up my name, Dry Bar Comedy. And it's all out there for uh, free on YouTube as well. But if you go to the Dry Bar site, you can also see it and uh, tip me, which would be nice. Look at me finally asking for money. You can tip me, but uh, views are always good too. So check out my Dry Bar Comedy Special. My comedy site is funnymike.com. You know the Instagram, Travel Tales Podcast. Can I do another 10 years of this show? I'm going to tell you right now. No. <laughs> no, I cannot. I don't know how, uh, how many years I can do of this, at least in the same format. I need other projects. I have some things I'm, I'm working on. And whether or not this show carries on or it doesn't, I hope you follow me on my next thing. But till then, I'm going to try to keep bringing you some interesting guests and putting out more episodes. 
and I'm looking forward to getting back on the road. I am doing some more uh, cruise ships over the holidays, over Christmas and New Year's, from San Diego to Mexico, doing three weeks back on the ships to give it another shot and see, see what the new post-COVID cruise experience is like. Should be interesting. But whatever happens, I will let you know. But until then, thank you so much for being listeners of this show. Keep traveling. Keep your minds open. Your hearts open. Wash your hands. Wear your masks. Listen to the flight attendants. They have it hard enough. And let's hit the road, shall we? Thank you and safe travels. (laughs) 